Welcome, you're listening to the podcast Outlander Soul, Searching for the Soul of Outlander, with me, Reverend Terry Menifee Gow, and me, Dr. Jamie Reeves. We love the book series, books one through eight, so we will be talking about them all, so beware, there are spoilers ahead. So we're back with our second part, or part two, of um, we're kind of, we're talking about sort of religion and faith in Outlander in in general. We we've talked really specifically, you know, like kind of topic wise throughout the different podcast episodes we've done, but we wanted to kind of zoom out and see the whole thing. So we did part one last yeah last time. Right. Now we do part right. Two. We did part one last time. Mm-hmm. And we talked a lot about ethic. We talked about morality. Also, we kind of introduced the idea that Diana is probably coming from a place where dogma and dogmatic um, understanding of traditions are really kind of bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, cause, Very technical cause term there, there Terry. <laughs> are bad. Um, that her... Her um, understanding and, and at least her depictions of people who tend to be more legalistic about their faith are fairly villainous. Mm-hmm. We, we've noticed that there is definitely a line of demarcation between people who are coming from a place of love and of um, no, no matter what their tradition mm. and of, of growth and of, of kindness, a, a, a good place, places mm. that we consider good and beneficial to a community. Those folks, no matter what their background, are considered you know, complicated, but good people in general. Yeah. yeah. Um, but those who are not are, are generally considered antithesis of that, that they yeah. are going to cause the conflicts and they're going to cause some issues that are, that are happening. There's no, there's not always the internal conflict going on. There's, there's also conflict between people who believe that they are doing the Christian slash Catholic slash right thing faith-wise mm-hmm. by hurting someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we gave examples of, of Father Bane in the book one, Tom Christie mm-hmm. in some of the later books, Hiram Crombie. But also we talked about the Quakers coming along, but we don't ever really get to know any of the hardline Quakers, but we but we know they exist. Whereas the, the Quakers that we really get to know and love, like Rachel and, and Danny, are, are these folks who are... Uh, really committed to life and and love and making sure folks are well and you know that so it's the good the good side but what we said in the last episode is basically every religious tradition that's that's mentioned uh, well I say okay hang on a second not every religious tradition that's mentioned because we only have very few examples of other non-christian but but within every kind of christian tradition especially that's talked about in the series you have this kind of full spectrum of folks who are both hardline fundamentalist or you know bible thumper or whatever the case may be making life difficult for everybody and then you've got the other folks main characters mostly who we get to know and love and see that their faith is much more complicated and kind of a we're spiritual but not religious in that sense uh, in the way that we would kind of understand that today and it's kind of privatized or it's individual we have personal Yeah. yeah it's very personal we have this faith and we're doing the best we can, but let's be realistic. <laughs> yeah. We can't survive without each other, or we can't survive and continue this particular practice. Yeah, exactly. So, 
morality shifts with the context, but the faith still kind of stays intact. Mm. But let's talk about maybe a time it didn't. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you said the the word faith, right? Right? Yeah. 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 It's a loss of... Well, (laughs) just loss of faith in season two or book two, Dragonfly Amber, where loss of faith perhaps in God, certainly loss of faith in each other and then loss of faith as the child, as a person. Yeah. Yeah, as a symbol of faith, what is happening at that particular moment in time. Last episode, you were talking about the the names, about Black Jack Randall being, mm-hmm. you know, his black heart and John mm-hmm. Gray kind of being in the lighter gray area of faith and yeah. morality and understanding. But both kind of coming from the same place as far as an agnostic or atheist yeah. sort of view, but how one is dedicated to life and the other is pretty much dedicated to death. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that Diana's choice of naming the baby that Claire loses faith mm-hmm. is is a, just a beautiful choice here. I, I mm-hmm. think it was a, a beautiful way of saying not only did she lose her child, but she did lose faith in general for mm-hmm. a while. And Mother Hildegard kind of kind of steps in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she is a religious woman. She, she does is. practice her religion. Mm-hmm. She wears it so everybody can see. You know, she wears her habit daily. Mm-hmm. But and you expect a particular dogmatism from that, in the sense of that it is a you know physical manifestations of a religious belief. Um, and yet, she is the least dogmatic person. You know, like you just don't. <laughs> You don't get that at all from her. Um, no, there's no judgment mm-mm. for the people who are who are in her care. Mm-hmm. There's there's only what can we do to help them? Mm-hmm. What can we do to help them? Mm-hmm. As opposed to Father Bain in the first book, who is exact opposite. But then you also get the guys at the Abbey at the end of the first book who are opposite as well of Father Bain. They're more than Mother Hildegard side of things I would say and they're very religious they mm-hmm. practice their religion mm-hmm. they are they do the rites and rituals and they mm-hmm. wear it and are in a community together a holy ordered mm-hmm. community and yet there is a depth to them there mm-hmm. is another side to them that is not the judgmental side that mm-hmm. does take into account people's context and their backgrounds and their particular complications yeah and and the the struggles that they're going through mm-hmm. and there just seems to be an inerrant kindness there mm-hmm. that wants to heal mm-hmm. that wants to bring life yeah because up until this point most of the priests and and religious leaders that we've seen up until mother hildegard have not been <laughs> the best examples of, of how to engender faith in their community. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, Mother Hildegard watching Claire lose faith mm-hmm. is there to support her in a faithful way. Mm-hmm. And lose faith, not just proper noun faith person. Right, right. But lose right, faith but to lose in the sense of losing faith her faith. Yeah. 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 Not only she does that, but Master Raymond does it as well. Yeah, exactly. So I think the two of them kind of bring, I mean, Mother Hildegard obviously comes to Claire and has this faithful 
moment, this tender moment where she mm-hmm. tells Claire she's lost her child mm-hmm. and, and is there for her and, and has the ministry of presence with her mm-hmm. and being with her, which is like one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do is just mm-hmm. to be present with somebody who's in misery. And Master Raymond does his thing, but clandestine. Mm-hmm. He comes in and he heals her body. Mm-hmm. And he does it in, in, a, in a, he does it secretly because he could be killed for this yeah putting himself at risk for he her really well-being. is yeah. yeah but he comes in he does the work even so mother hildegard doesn't see mm-hmm. and then he leaves he leaves and he he, he heals her and leaves mm-hmm. and and we could get into why he chooses to do it we, we don't know but we know that he's done this with others yeah we know that others with this gift also do this yeah yeah. But even Mother Hildegard, so she's, you know, she's a nun. She is representative of a particular tradition. She is the mother superior of the women who are serving in the in the hospital. And she goes out on a limb in, in a similar way, puts herself at risk um, because she's so on the Outlander cast blog back in 2016, Denise Stewart did a piece on Mother Hildegard about how faith can move mountains. That's the title of the, mm. the blog. And she's talking about how Mother Hildegard confesses to Claire that it's illegal to, for her to have baptized this child unless the child had been living. But the child, since it was born, dead. But she still baptizes it, her faith so that um, she can be buried, buried in hallowed ground. And she trusts that Claire, this is what Denise Stewart says, that she trusts that Claire will keep it between them and God. And so Mother Hildegard being a trendsetter, um, she calls her in the sense of um, she is an outlier. She's, She's going beyond what is required of her because she knows that's what needs to be done. She deviates from the official doctrine in order to do something that feels faithful to her. Um, right. in this particular right. time. And so Denise Stewart says that Mother Hildegard is a pillar of strength and faith for her. Um, and in this episode, she exemplifies what a person of God should be, which I think is really interesting and an interesting observation of sometimes people who call themselves people of God are not people of God, or at least it seems right, you know, right. across that And way. she knows this. I mean, yeah. so she, I mean, she's a, a female leader in a church that's only led by men. Yeah. So she has to have known that there were that there were people that she could not come up against with this without saying the baby was baptized. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they bury Gavin Hayes in hallowed ground at mm-hmm. night mm-hmm. so that so that he is buried in hallowed ground. It's important to mm-hmm. them. It is part of their rites and ritual. Mm-hmm. And so it is a religious importance mm-hmm. and they break the rules to mm-hmm. do it. And it's a make do and men situation because they don't have a priest who oversees that that burial either Um, right right they just do the best they can with what they got dig a hole put him in jump back over the wall and go (laughs) yeah (laughs) but the 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 woman who dies in the last book they don't bury her in hollow ground the woman who dies fanny's fanny's uh, sister yeah oh i'm trying to remember what happens there she kills herself she kills herself, and so she can't bury. They can't bury her. They can't in bury ground. her in hollowed ground. Yeah. Yeah, and that's. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's what's so difficult for for folks is that they they couldn't do that. But of course, 
they couldn't do that. They could have done that if they'd found some way to do that. Um, right. But the right. understanding is that with suicide, you're not you're not allowed. But in the same case, Faith wouldn't have been allowed. But Mother Hildegard said, "No, no, we're going to we're going to do our own thing." Yeah. Hmm. I find it interesting. So I, I, you see outliers like this throughout history and and throughout our own stories, our own mm-hmm. stories of of heroism, of people working within the bounds of their faith or yeah. within the bounds of whatever their community tells them are, are the rules, the laws, the things that they have to do. Yeah. To to save others. Mm. It was something was tickling in the back of my head and I'm like, who who have I talked about on this? And so I, I saw this with like Schindler's list. Oscar Schindler realize he, he's not a religious man he's actually fairly hedonistic and mm-hmm. he you know he he sees what's going on around him and he works within the rules of mm-hmm. nazi germany to mm-hmm. save people mm-hmm. he finds ways to save folks within the within the bounds of where he, what he's allowed to do yeah but subverting those rules the entire time absolutely it's yeah. it's a it's a story of sub, of subversion of yeah. finding where something is not life-giving something mm-hmm. is not um healing something is not of love mm-hmm. and finding a way to love in that space mm-hmm. finding a way to to subvert it and and be more and to provide life in that space and yeah. to me that is that is ultimate creativity right there. Mm-hmm. That is that is a way of bucking the system and, and kind of thumbing your nose mm-hmm. at everybody and saying, no, 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 I'll work within your rules. But guess what? I'm doing it my own way. Yeah. And, and Mother Hildegard does that. You see it with Roger sometimes too, I think. Mm-hmm. You often see it with Jamie. Yeah. And well, you and see I it with Claire. Th- totally. Yeah. And I think so... Well, I think so. Okay. <laughs> so subversion. Well, I love it anyway. I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> let's all just, let's all just take a moment. Jamie likes subversion. Um, yeah, it's the but, badassery of the whole thing, right? <laughs> um, but, but I think, I think maybe this is the key. I mean, we haven't gotten this in the notes, but I do think that this is maybe something about when we talk about kind of the people of God. Like for me, the people of God are the ones who who subvert what what is the what is considered to be the norm, or who are constantly sort of looking for where the light breaks in. To use Leonard Cohen, right? Yeah. So you're looking for those situations where where the darkness just is slightly less dark, or where you're just trying to find an, a, a, some other way. And for me. That is that is the act of God as well. Like you just said, creativity. But this is you know being created in the image of God. This God finding a way to preserve life, finding a way to keep keep things going. Or you think it's this? Let me show you what it actually is. You know, whatever the case may be, it's always this making it bigger, making us think about it in a completely different way. Expanding um, your community, expanding, expanding the love. Yeah. And yeah, the, the, the building of things rather than the tearing down. It's a yeah. place of consolation rather than desolation. Yeah. Um, 
And we tend yeah. to think about subversion in the sense of under, you know, taking out the underpinnings, causing things to collapse. But I don't think that's it. I think subversion is about saying all this stuff you think holds all this up. It doesn't really. Let's look at what really holds up life. Let's look at what we can do to support things keeping going. Or what it's saying is, and this is the, the John Dominic Cross and coming out in me, mm-hmm. is is that, you know, look at your foundation. It's got lots of cracks in it. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. take, let's tear, let's tear down, down this foundation mm-hmm. and build a new one. Mm-hmm. Let's let's build something better, something stronger, something more. Yeah. This is the story of Esther, right? Yeah, this yeah. is the story of Esther. Is Esther is nothing but subversion. Yeah. Of, yeah. of sneaking a woman into, <laughs> sneaking a Jewish woman mm-hmm. to preserve an entire people mm-hmm. under the nose of the king, mm-hmm. bringing her in there, and then finding a way to save themselves after the king is tricked into to, to killing everybody for genocide. Yeah. So so it, it's, it's a story of subversion, and it's a happy story because mm-hmm. you... You know how it's going to end every year when it's celebrated at Purim. Mm-hmm. You know it's going to end in a good way for the Jewish people, mm-hmm. and and it's and it's it's just it's such a we got one over on you kind of moment. Yeah. But it but it's one that allows an entire group of people to live and to live in harmony with everybody mm-hmm. else, right? Mm-hmm. I'm also thinking too about where we are right now. Right now, Jamie and I are are talking, and it's. <laughs> It, we record these long before you hear them. Mm. Well, not too long, but we're in pandemic mode. We're in lockdown, both of mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's in lockdown in the UK and I'm in lockdown in the US. Yeah. And the, the creativity, the way people are getting around what has mm-hmm. to be done mm-hmm. is just inspiring. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that we are subverting something that hasn't happened in a hundred years and that we're using the tools that we have to still stay connected. Mm -hmm. It's hard, Mm -hmm. but let me just say there are some really wonderful, brave people out there Mm -hmm. who are managing and who are just doing an amazing job. Yeah. Necessity being the mother of all invention kind of thing or innovation. Yeah, I do think that's the case. I mean, I think we probably need to do a caveat in the sense of subversion for subversion's sake. Not so much. Um, yeah, well, but, yeah. <laughs> but um, I think particularly in the context of faith and religion, subversion is usually never praised. And I think <laughs> I think it's such oh, a shame I know. that it's not. Um, because I do think that that's where the life it is or again that Leonard Cohen where the light breaks in I mean talking about subversion going back to the story so Pastor Laurent um, who is the Huguenot that's hiding in the shed at Fontainebleau after Claire loses faith in Dragonfly and Amber you've got this guy who is hiding because he's Protestant reformer in the midst of Catholic France and they're being killed for believing what you know what they do so you've got this non-dogmatic again official religious character he's you know he is a pastor he's a religious leader but he speaks positively of master raymond uh, who a lot of people would say was a witch or you know whatever it is you want to call him oh yeah no he was well obviously was you know brought before the king for his uh, possible heresy yeah Yeah. um but you've got a fellow heretic basically saying yeah he's a good guy (laughs) (laughs) um 
And, you know, he prays for Claire in exchange for, well, you know, she gives him money. But still, you know, he's he recognizes her situation. And he, you know, there there is something really beautiful about that exchange. Yeah. Whereas he could have been the the Hiram Crombie or the Tom Christie kind of character and saying, you know, you're evil. Where's your husband? You know, like doing... Yeah. yeah, what did you do to deserve the, your, exactly. the death of your child? You know, yeah. what, what, you must have done something. Yeah. Or, or, or even, you know, uh, well, these things happen, get over it, go have another child, that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. He doesn't do that. He, he actually, he actually sees her loss. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Cool. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about like atheism to some yeah. degree with Blackjack Randall and with Lord John Gray, mm-hmm. but Colum comes right out and says it. Yeah, yeah, he is. As far as I can remember, there might be. Of course, you know, you hear this and you go, "Oh no, no, there's another person." Then let us know. But Colum, I think, is the only one that is the self-declared atheist. Yeah, um, yeah. In the in the story. He, he, even on his deathbed, he's like, I don't believe anything. Mm-hmm. And yet he is the Laird and religious, not religious leader, but they really had to have some basis in the faith. Mm-hmm. The faith and the crown, faith and the ruler kind of worked hand in hand. Mm-hmm. But Cullum to his bones, just he's like, I never got it. I never wanted to. I expected to suffer. I don't, however, expect to suffer. What, what does he say? I don't, however, expect to suffer unduly for my sin, having put no credence in the existence of God since I was 19 or so, yeah. because he wants to commit suicide. Yeah. And this is, this, is where Claire's, this is where Claire subverts her mm-hmm. own, subverts her own oath. Mm-hmm. So she has her own faith, obviously, that, you know, kind of grows and changes. And if you, you know, we have an episode on her spirituality. Mm-hmm. But I think the, she puts a great store a great amount of faith in her practice of, of healing. Mm-hmm. And she and she, you know, takes it as her call from God to do this and her call to, to, to really and so there are a couple of people that she helps die. Yeah. Yeah. And in a way her morality gets a little squidgy there too. Do mm-hmm. I you know, the I've got I've got this person, Colum, who is not going to make it and he wants mm-hmm. an easy way out. Mm-hmm. And he's in terrible pain. He's racked with pain. But then there's also the Scots uh and the hospital in the twentieth century who is yeah. also racked with pain, has got no one. Mr. Menzies. Yeah. Yes, and he's dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. And she gives him the ability she gives him the injection mm-hmm. to to help him pass easily yeah. into death. Yeah, but we also so in the situation with um, with Colum and his atheism, you also have a situation. So he says at about nineteen or so is when he lost his faith, which is also I think where in the story they say that he starts to have his serious health issues. Yeah, the um, Toulouse-Lautrec syndrome. Yeah, and so his loss of faith, while it never says so much, if you kind of look at the timeline, under this extreme suffering, how can, you know, for a column, I I would guess that it gets in a situation of how can you believe a God in a God who would have given me this affliction? 
And so, you know, that connects to questions around theodicy, that kind of stuff that we've talked about before of how can bad things happen to good people if if God is good, those kinds of things. I think there's a connection there that the story has never really said, but it certainly makes sense to me of the loss of his faith, the loss of his belief in God being intimately connected to his own personal extreme suffering. Right, right. Which I think is well, common. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it's extremely common. I, I've, mm. yeah. Mm. So we talked a little bit last time about like this frontierism and the faith changing, or at least not faith, but necessarily the the morality of and the practice of our faith and traditions kind of changing with our context and with necessity mm-hmm. rather than convenience. So you know there there is the you know faith has changed by con- my my morality has changed by convenience because. You know, I, I don't feel this anymore for this person. Therefore, I'm just going to go over to this person now. And that's that's convenient for me to suddenly go, well, it, it works for me. Mm-hmm. But it, it's more necessity and survival. And so we talked a little bit about like Lord John Gray and about his agnosticism, his, you know, I'm, I'm certain he practices on Christmas and <laughs> because he comes from a fairly well-to-do family in England and he, yeah. he belongs to the Church of the Church of the Crown and the Church of England. But I think that there is a disconnect in faith there because of the fact that he is gay. Mm-hmm. However, yeah. Jamie's faith would mean that he should, and Jamie's experience, would mean that he should completely not befriend Lord John Gray. No. That he would... You know, because he calls him, you know, the wee sodomite all the time, which is, you know, just the most horrible thing in the world. It is horrible. Yes. Not to mention the fact that, yeah, sodom. Yeah. Yeah. So really bad translation. Really bad thing to say. Mm. But but with with Lord John Gray, suddenly it's okay because it's Lord John Gray. Mm hmm. Claire mm-hmm. is fine with it. Everybody else seems to be. Everybody else from the twentieth century seems to be fine with it. But but Jamie does have to make that leap, and the moment he says, you know, mm-hmm. "Will you take care of my son?" Mm-hmm. is I think a very telling moment of we are now we are now progressing beyond your sexuality. You are now not just defined by who you love. Mm-hmm. You are defined now by who you are. Yeah. And who and who you are to me. Yeah. But I also think, too, that leap for Jamie may not have been as big had it not been for Blackjack and what had happened to him. Right. Right. I I, I agree. I don't know that Jamie would have necessarily cared if he hadn't been raped by a man and, you know, and had that situation happen to him where there is this trauma around male sexuality. Particularly being in somebody's power uh, being in prison in someone's Mm -hmm. power and having Mm -hmm. lord john gray be that person in power who is also attracted to him yeah exactly Um, yeah so that's that's the that's the tough one but Mm -hmm. comes to find out that he is a obviously a a beautiful human being Mm -hmm. and and that is a shift he Mm -hmm. he doesn't tell people and he could he could have told them Mm -hmm. he could have told folks about his attraction to men and he doesn't Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm I mean, we talked about kind of the things that Jamie does that we tend to celebrate or the, you know, the choice around adultery that, that 
technically that Claire makes that we celebrate the whole story around. But we also have got this situation of bigamy with Lizzie um, yeah. that comes along. Um, <laughs> we've got situations where at the time, not that they're wrong to us now, but at the time, certainly interracial relationships were an issue. But yep. people, you know, turn their... Uh, yeah, decided not to make a big deal about it. Interchurch relationships, so Roger and Bree, um, Protestant and Catholic. So yeah, Henry Gray and Mercy Woodcock, that story, and which is adulterous as well. So, you know, there, there are these kind of situations where, yeah, again, we kind of said in the last episode, but this place where we're like, well, yeah, in a normal situation, that probably wouldn't be acceptable. <laughs> but right now, we're all right with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, the, 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 the young man and Henry Gray. Remind me who Henry Gray is. Is he the one in Brownsville? He's Dottie's, um, Dottie's brother. So also the young man in Brownsville who, who impregnates this young girl while he's Isaiah. married and has a child. Isaiah Wood? Wouldn't his yes. name Wood? And they help him get away. Yeah. yeah. And we celebrate that. Mm-hmm. We're being told a story from a certain point of view. If we yeah. were be- getting that story maybe from his wife's point of view, it probably mm-hmm. wouldn't be as good of a story for us. So, no, no. yeah. Well, you have another character, Archibald Campbell. So that's in Voyager, where he's this Presbyterian minister and missionary who goes to the West Indies with his sister who has mental health issues. He goes with the missionary society, yet he's, so he's kind of the not Well, he's a murderer. Yeah, he's a murderer. <laughs> he's a murderer, he's, dom- he's the dogmatic, another dogmatic <laughs> character. And wouldn't you know it, he's a serial killer. <laughs> All the dogmatic folks are the watch out. <laughs> watch out, they're going to Anytime you. you see that, yep. Anytime you see that in Diana's uh, characterizations, you yeah. need to be careful. And But what I find lovely, mm-hmm. and I have to say this, so Tom Christie is the dogmatic character. Yeah. And he has something horrible happen to him. Mm-hmm. And his daughter... His daughter is having sex with his son. Yeah, so there's incest happening. There's incest. But it's also sexual abuse because I don't think she necessarily would have chosen to. It's her, that's Alan who started the whole situation. Yeah, yeah. And so she becomes pregnant. She, mm-hmm. you know, she blames Jamie. And Tom Christie loses both of his children. Mm-hmm. And pretty much one fail swoop. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, he's in love with Claire. Mm-hmm. So to be as dogmatic and as staunchly Presbyterian as he is, mm-hmm. and yet have no control over his feelings for a white woman, mm-hmm. and I don't mean, I mean, a, a, La Dame Blanche, a, a, a yeah, sorcerer, a healer. Yeah, not white as in race, but white as in, yeah. Yeah, but, but, to, yeah. but to fall for someone like this and to mm-hmm. have been fighting it all this time must have been just torture. so painful, torture mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. And and yet when he sees her again and kisses her and is so grateful that she's alive, I feel for him because he mm-hmm. seems to have changed. Mm-hmm. And and oftentimes, I've seen this in others mm-hmm. that there there may be this dogma that goes on and and they think they know all the answers, and something happens. Mm-hmm. Something happens that kind of blows that foundation out from under them, mm-hmm. and they have to piece it back together. Mm-hmm. But they're piecing it back together in a way that's a little more inclusive. Yeah. That's a little more expanded. That that their their broken heart has opened them mm-hmm. to more possibility. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm hoping that that's the trajectory I'm seeing with Tom Christie. It started. 
I think so. We start, I mean, we start to be more sympathetic with him when he takes Claire's place on the ship, right? Yeah. The, um, but, okay, so here's another thing. Um, I, I, Yeah, so I'm thinking in the last episode, I was like, oh, Lord John Gray and Blackjack Randall. Like, you know, like, like, literally, let's look at how those, those are paired. But we're talking about kind of an evolution of Tom Christie. And think about his hand. So his hand yeah. is is clenched in a fist because his his tendons are so tight, right? Yeah. So yeah. he is gripping so hard, and then yeah. Claire does surgery on him, cuts some of that you know cuts some of that fiber that is call, causing the contracture, causing that grip to be so 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 painful. Right. 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 Um, and is starting to kind of snip that away and his hand is able to open. So it's very kind of metaphorical of what yes. happens to him, because when he has that surgery, things starting to start slowly to loosen up and to open up. Yeah. Yeah. He's not so tight anymore. He's the Ebenezer Scrooge in a way. Yeah. Only in River. Well, yeah. 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 That does happen. He's, with you know, Ebenezer he's, he's, he's yeah. the tighter yeah. than heck and then opens yeah up. yeah and so I think when I tie that has always kind of struck me in that part of the story for him because that that's a metaphor that I tend to use kind of around faith and for people who are trying to find some way of making sense without being so certain is this kind of this metaphor of an open hand uh, of kind of sitting there going you know I want to hold these things but as soon as I start to grip them tightly they become I start to kill it. It starts to die. It starts to become certain. It starts to become stagnant. But if you open up and and just kind of let things sit there, then things eventually sort of tend to give life. Well, I think maybe before we kind of bring... I mean, we've got we got a couple things we want to say sort of around generativity, but I think we also, we promised that we would talk kind of about the interfaith aspects that, that pop up in Outlander too. So I think we need to kind of go over those. But so, okay, so just, this might sound a bit more of a survey, but so Human Roe, we get Islam with him. And the story is that he was converted while a prisoner by the Ottoman Empire, I assume. But yet he has taken on those those practices. I guess. Yeah, even though he was forcibly converted, mm. he still he still holds to his conversion, mm-hmm. and he returns to Scotland, mm-hmm. and people still welcome him, mm-hmm. and people still consider him a part of their community. Mm-hmm. Again, it's you know they it's it's things are not as cut and dry as we would like to believe in the past. No. It's not that there was once this beautiful Eden where everybody believed these things. There mm. there was a lot of, and, and and I think Diana depicts this well, there mm-hmm. there was a lot of intermix. There was a lot of mingling. Yeah. There's always been messiness. As long as of people course. have existed, there's been messiness. Yeah. Right, right. We get Judaism with Lawrence Stern in Voyager and mm-hmm. then the Rothschilds, um, who also show up in Voyager, but I think they also might be in Virgins. I'm not quite sure. Um, right. I'd need to go back and look. So Jamie refers to Lawrence Stern as the Jew quite regularly. <laughs> yeah. Which I have a cringe. Voy- Voyager continues to be yeah. problematic because um, <laughs> he, you know, the way he also refers to 
Mm. Yi Tan Cho as Mr. Yeah. Willoughby, as the wee Chinaman and yeah. the wee yellow man and things like that. It's just, it's, um, yes, it would be, a, it, it would be something that would have been said at the time, but yeah. it's really hard on my ears. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. So, but yeah, so refer- even though he loves him, seems he's a great guy. He's quite, you know, accepting and affirmative of, of Lawrence Stern and thinks he's, you know brilliant all that kind of stuff but he still refers to him as the jew <laughs> yeah but we do so we do have judaism that shows up we also have voodoo that shows up in haiti also in voyager which is mm-hmm. this kind of mix of catholicism and african traditional religions um you mentioned yutin cho which is also in voyager so maybe voyager is <laughs> the most interreligious <laughs> well, of them all they travel um, a lot they travel so a lot so maybe that they makes do travel sense. a lot yeah, yeah. But so we have Yutin Cho's Confucian, and then in other, you know, Mohawk and other sort of indigenous tribes, we have this kind of indigenous religion and spiritualities. So it's we're not just talking about Christianity in this series. We're not just talking about Catholicism. We've got lots of different types of Christianities, and then we've also got Master Raymond, Comte Saint Germain. We've got Mrs. Graham and Galus, who are all this, not the same. But all this other kind of kinds of paganism that's been syncretized or or not or not yeah yeah but we know that they're not within any kind of formal religious tradition as, right. as it were Galus um, seems to have her own well, Galus does her own thing no matter has what several, well, and, so, and so does Master Raymond but we don't mm, know what community he came from we don't know what or it he's is yet continuing mm. to practice in that community yeah. and and the calm I don't know what he practices he just seems to be out for his own benefit yeah spiritualism it could be a type of yeah pagan kind of but it's not you know like yeah it is they're all a bit but Mrs. Graham you know, you talked about sort of syncretism, and that's how Celtic sort of paganism that's maybe syncretized with Christianity. I mean, my goodness, she's the housekeeper of a pres- Presbyterian minister, for goodness sake, and yet she's out dancing around the stones. Yeah, and, and still, every Beltane and every Samhain, she is out there calling up the sun. Mm-hmm. As yep. if that were important to do because it's the right and ritual of her people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's there is an interesting syncretization of paganism, and you see it in Ian too. Mm-hmm. So when he becomes Emily's husband, he leaves who Ian is, and he becomes another person, mm-hmm. and he takes on the faith of the tribe. Yeah, and he he finds a way to syncretize it later. He still mm-hmm. knows all the prayers. He still is he's still really struggling with his faith. Mm-hmm. And whether or not there is a God out there, uh, because he's lost a child too, yeah. he's lost several. Yeah. But the but the idea that you know he's able to kind of hold both as true, mm-hmm. being able to have his you know much like Mrs. Graham mm-hmm. is able to hold both as true. She'll mm-hmm. kill the chicken and put it on the front porch <laughs> at, at Salon. <laughs> But yeah. at the same time, she'll also help, you know, with the, the minister's church service or what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what, so talking, kind of bringing us to a close, I think that's what I love so much about Outlander. You know, we started these two episodes with thinking about 
where Diana was coming from in the sense of writing this story and kind of how it reflected her own spirituality. But it, we talk about kind of what are the stories that make a difference for us, which are the stories that continue to live in us and continue to sort of inspire us and make us think. And I think one of the interesting things about Outlander and what I love about it is that it's generative. And by generative, we kind of mean, you know, that it generates things. It gives life. It's giving emotions and thoughts and it makes us think and it you know there's a whole world that's been built around it yeah eric erickson is a psychologist started talking or was kind of thought about the concept of of being generative and his theory was this idea that that things are either stagnant or they're generative so it's 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 a binary that he sets up and that to be generative is to live lives uh, for the next generation or the focus again just kind of on what gives life what keeps things going rather than what brings stagnation and death. If you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if the story is not serving you, if the story is holding you back, if the story is locking you in, then it isn't generative. It's, you know, and this is, we, and this is the bottom line of of all of my my understanding Mm -hmm. of narrative theology is that Mm -hmm. we are the stories we tell ourselves. Mm Mm-hmm. And that when we take stories into ourselves, mm-hmm. we have to examine them mm-hmm. because they're important. Mm-hmm. I, I, we, we posted something on Facebook this past week, and mm. somebody responded with, it's only a story, guys. <laughs> and that is the biggest understatement of the whole world. It is a story. And that's the most important thing about it, is that it is a story. Because a story, no matter no matter what it is, is especially pertinent because they become who we are. Mm-hmm. And a community that takes hold of a story mm-hmm. becomes that community. It's mm-hmm. it's the way we make our story sacred is by everybody in the community agreeing to live by it. Mm-hmm. And if that and that story can either bring life or it can bring death. And so and so I think the reason why I love Outlander is because it brings life. There's a a guy, Ken Westema, who's a blogger and theologian, writes on kind of theology and culture sort of stuff. And he talks about that theology is generative when it generates generosity. So the quote is, is in ongoing integration of questions, traditions, beliefs, and actions in a bid to avoid the entrapment that's caused by dogmatism or traditionalism uh, or pragmatism. And so what, what he's saying is all those isms are evidence of stagnation. So thinking Tom Christie's hand again, all those isms are that gripping things really tightly to try to be so, so strict, uh, trying to be so certain. And he says that those appear when we're more interested in giving answers than listening to the questions. Well, I mean, that's the whole purpose of the Good Samaritan, honestly. Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. whole purpose of that parable, to open that up, right? Mm-hmm. To crack that open a bit. Yeah. Because it's it's easy, it, it may not seem it, mm-hmm. but it's easy to practice dogma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's easy to check the boxes. We all want it. We want to be certain. We want to know we're right. We want to know right. God's on our side. We want to know, yeah, all those things. Yeah. It, it's easy to check the boxes and say, hey, I'm not practi- I'm not gay, I'm not this, I'm not that, mm-hmm. I, can, I, I must be then acceptable to God, so I can go on living my life and buying my SUV and doing all the things that, mm-hmm. you know, may not be bringing life. To, and, and, it's, and it's not dynamic that way mm-hmm. either. It's just not. Mm-hmm. What's hard, what's mm-hmm. really hard is to love 
something because Mm -hmm. everybody needs love in a different way and every context is different. And so you Mm -hmm. always have to be high and on the alert to figure out what is love in this situation. Yeah. What is love in this moment? And I think Diana does that really well. Yeah. And that's the generative nature of this particular story is that, is that she's always looking for what is, how are these characters going to react in this situation? I'm, I'm going to throw them to the wolves <laughs> because that's what you do Sometimes to your characters literally. in your stories. You, you have to. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, they're not, it's not interesting to read if you don't. No. So I'm going to throw them to the wolves. Mm-hmm. And we know that, that, that Jamie is a hero. Mm-hmm. We know that Claire is a hero. Mm-hmm. We know how they are reacting to things. Mm-hmm. How are they going to get out of this in a loving way, in a generative mm-hmm. way, in a way that we can see mm-hmm. our own lives in a different situation? Yeah. I think that it only being a story mm-hmm. is, is really missing the point of us taking a look at how Diana has depicted Jamie and Claire dealing with the difficulties in their lives. Mm-hmm. And feeling like we can apply and be as creative and generative as they are. Yeah. 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 And I think that's a great place to stop, actually. Okay. All right. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you, mm. guys, for listening again mm-hmm. and for being our loyal fans and for, mm-hmm. and for um, <laughs> I don't know, just staying with us. That's kind of cool that you yeah. do. I'm I'm having a little bit of a giggle. I'm thinking about the person who said on Facebook that it was just a story. I'm like, so you follow us on Facebook, but it's just but a it's story. Just a story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously, if you're listening to this, you realize it's not just a story. It's not just a story if you're listening to us. No, and and you've got and we've actually gone through this in like the first four episodes. It's more mm-hmm. than a story. It it is well. Okay, let me put it this way: it is a story, and that's mm-hmm. everything. That, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's a story, and that's everything. Yeah, and that's I, everything. I'm with you. Yeah, a good story is everything. A good story is everything. Absolutely. Cool. All right. All right. Well, we will see you next time. See you next time. Bye, guys. That's it for this episode of Outlander Soul. Thanks for listening. If you love what we do, give us a review, especially on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, because it helps people find us. If you listen and you like what you hear, please consider supporting us financially. Just click on the support us button at our website, www.outlandersoul.com. There's lots of ways to donate and every little bit helps. Also, we love hearing your comments, questions, and ideas for the show. So we'd like for you to join in the conversation. You can reach us through our website, email, voice memos, or social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. By email, you can email us at Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com or via our website at www.outlandersoul.com. Thanks again, everybody. Bye.